wonder if, uh, if you thought, can think about some of the advice that you've been given at a time when uh, someone's hurt you, uh, a time when, when you need to respond in forgiveness, and I wonder if you can think of any of the advice that uh, people have shared with you and how you need to respond to someone hurting you. Maybe you've heard something like, uh, it's very popular to say, forgive and forget. Um, what happened in the past is the past, let it go, move on. Just forgive them and, and uh, let, let the past be the ha- past. I mean, it's bury the hatchet, uh, it's water under the bridge. Uh, you just need to let go what, what just happened. They can't take it back. Even they said they're sorry. So just, you know, let it go and, and move on. And sometimes we get advice like this about this is what forgiveness means. Sometimes we even get kind of religious about it and we can say something like, well, you know, there was that conversation Jesus had with his disciples and they were like, Jesus, how much should I forgive? Seven times? And, and Jesus says, no, not, not just seven times, but 77 times. And so we, we think, oh, what forgiveness means is the past is the past, and I just need to let it go, and I just need to move on. And this ultimately gives us a very shallow view of what, what uh, forgiveness looks like. Like the way that we end up expressing forgiveness is you need to just minimize the offense, and then not that much forgiveness is required. Like the amount of forgiveness has to match the size of the offense, and so if we just say, you know, it was a small thing, it was in the past, let it go, we're just saying that that offense that happened, it's, it was kind of a small thing, so just, just move on. You just need a little bit of forgiveness to cover something like that. And so when we talk about grace and what grace looks like in situations of conflict, we can have a very limited and very shallow view of how grace works in times of conflict, in times of 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 forgiveness and the need for repentance. This isn't what we see in in Scripture. In Scripture, there's grace is needed both for the offender and also for the victim. The, The offender needs grace because there is a punishment and retribution that is deserved for them. And so we, that person needs grace from God and the person that they've harmed uh, because of their offense. But also when we are victims and when we're the ones that have been wounded, we're in need of grace too in these situations. There is a need for healing uh, in our hearts and how we've been wounded by, by this conflict. And so grace is, is necessary for both parties in times of conflict. We're in the the midst of this series in Psalms, and in Psalm 62, this is what we see happening. We see David proclaiming his trust in God and for his deliverance against men who are conspiring against him. There's people that are close to David that are are conspiring and making plans against him, and David's response to this and how he works out what is forgiveness going to look like in this situation is he says, I'm going to trust in God's deliverance for this, and he proclaims confidence in this. So he shares about how we can trust in God's grace and what this looks like in this psalm. When we're wounded... Our vulnerability is, is exposed. When we're in a time of conflict and when we're the one that gets hurt, 
we, our needs come out and we're, we're faced with those. And we're going to see that in Psalm 62. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we'll also have it up on the screen. Uh, Psalm 62, I'm going to start with verse 3. In, this, in these first two verses that we're going to read, you're going to see uh, the need for grace because our hearts are frail. Look in verse 3. How long will you assault me? Here he's talking to the people who, who are his enemies, the people who are conspiring against him. He said, would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they attend, intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies with their mouths. They bless me. In their hearts, they curse. He describes himself here as this, this fence that is falling over, this leaning wall that at any moment is going to fall from the pressure that he feels from his enemies. He says, I know that there are people around me that they don't have my best intentions. They smile at me and they seem pleasant, but behind the scenes... I know that they are against me. There is no trust that he can have with these people. And he says, and you can imagine the hurt that comes with this. The, the sense of betrayal that I should be able to, these are people that are close to me and I should feel safe with these people. These are people that I, I should be able to rely on and depend on, but I know they are against me. And there's a wound to that. And he says, my heart is like this wall that is about to fall over. I can see the limits of my strength. And at any moment, I could, there's, this could be more than what I could handle. That this is, this is crushing and I am about to be overwhelmed by what this, what this means. See, when we're wounded, um, we can become aware of the limits that we have. We can become aware of the needs that we have. When we get wounded, we realize our need for justice. When we're wounded, we realize our need to be heard and for those feelings to be expressed and to be known by someone else. We have a need for other people to understand that what happened was an injustice. And we don't want to be alone when we're wounded. One person that we want that from is the person that offended us. And those needs that we have, a lot of times they become focused on the person that I need from that person to understand what they did was wrong. I need a change of heart from them. I need them to apologize. And so we have these needs for healing, these needs for justice, maybe even these needs for retribution but it also focuses mostly on this, the one person that hurt us. And so we can feel like at any moment I'm being crushed by what this person does and I just wish that they would understand what they're doing is wrong and that they would recognize it. Uh, I am reminded of uh, my first job that I had. Uh, this was, I was probably 15 at the time, and my very first job, I grew up playing basketball a lot, so my first job was I was a basketball ref for, like, youth games, and, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, these were, like, I was coaching games for people who, kids who are, like, you know, elementary school, and a lot of times in those phases, most, most people are, are pretty casual and laid back, like, just 
kids have fun. And so every once in a while, you get a couple of parents who are convinced that their kid is like LeBron James, and the only reason why he didn't score 50 points was because I didn't call that one foul back you know, in the second quarter. And so there would be some parents who get really worked up uh, watching, watching their kid play. This one specific incident, and I remember this vividly, uh, the coach was also the father of one of the boys on his team. And at some point, and he had a reputation for, for uh, being fiery, we could say. And so this game is going on. His kid at some point gets poked in the eye uh, during this. And from his reaction, the, from the father, the father coach's reaction, like you would have thought I told him that I like, put cyanide in his Gatorade or something like that. Like he ran out onto the court while the game is still happening. And I remember him pointing at me and he goes, you have no idea what you're doing. You're an idiot. My, look what just happened to my son. And this is me hearing that as a 15-year-old seeing this man, this middle-aged man run aggressively out onto the court pointing at me, yelling at me, and that was one of the times I think I've, I don't know if I've ever felt so small. Like during that time, I remember my hands shaking and thinking, I don't know what to do right now. Like I've never had a situation like that in kind of the training I would have for refing. There was never a situation where it's like, there's going to be this grown adult who's going to run out point at you, scream at you, and interrupt the entire game to go and attend to his kid for, let's face it, like, stuff like that happens in basketball. Like, you know, your kid might get poked in the eye. Don't put goggles on him if you don't want to get him, you know, him to be poked in the eye. Like, there was no, I was so caught off guard and so overwhelmed by what happened. And in the days, weeks, months that followed that incident, I would, I would think about it, and I would reflect on it, and I would think, man, if I could just ref his game one more time. And I had the whole scenario played out in my head of, I'm not going to yell back at him, but I, I want to show him who's in charge. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk up close to him, get, get right in his face, and I'm going to say, I remember what happened last time. If I hear your voice once... I will kick you out of here. And I had this fantasy in my head of how I was going to get this guy to recognize his faults. I wanted something from him, and I wanted him to understand that what he did was not okay and it was wrong. He abused his position as an adult over me. It was completely inappropriate. But... There was nothing that, that doesn't fix anything. If I, if I get in his face, if I try to take power back from him or exert power back from him, that doesn't fix the injustice. I want vengeance from him. I want him to understand what he did was wrong. I need something from him in that. And so there is a part of me that's tied to him because I want that from him. I have a need, I have a wound 
and I want him to meet that need in my heart. This idea that when we have wounds, uh, it creates a need in us that we ourselves cannot fix. Someone could tell me, it's water under the bridge, forgive and forget, move along. All that does is try to get me to distract myself from that, that pain that I feel. There's a wound in my heart that I can't fix itself by just saying I'm gonna forget it. I need from somewhere external to meet that hurt that I have. And I want that man to meet that need. This idea is, is biblical. We see this even in the very famous passage in John 15, the vine and the branches. Christ here teaches that we cannot meet our own needs. There is a need for nurture and grace from an external source. Here in, in this passage, Jesus says that he is the one that meets that need. In verse, in verse 4, he says, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And here he says, we can't just be this, this separate, independent vine, or the branch that we can just nurture ourselves and then by our own strength spring up fruit and one of those fruits being forgiveness. That I need grace from somewhere else in order forgiveness to come out and I want it to be from that man. The weakness and even delicateness of our heart requires grace and nurture from another source. But the problem is a lot of times we don't get that grace from the person who's offended us. And even if we did, it won't be sufficient. And so where do we go for these needs? David talks about this in, in this passage. Going back to verse one, so Psalm 62 verse one, he says that his need for safety, his need for grace can be met with God. In verse one, he says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is a fortress I will never be shaken. He says God is a place that we can go and we can find grace and, and safety that is adequate to provide rest for our souls. That there can be freedom from the wounds that we've experienced. And from someone who, who a couple verses later, he's describing himself as this wobbly fence that's about to fall over. He contrasts that with God being a rock, with God being a fortress, and he says, because of that, as much as I'm a fence that might fall over, he says, because God is my rock, I won't be shaken. And so there's this imagery of not being able to fall over because of our place of safety. And so he said, David says, I can actually turn to God. I have another option instead of trying to turn to this person who's hurt me. For David, it's these people that have conspired against him. He says, I have another place that I can go. I can redirect my need from being from that person to being to God instead, and that need can be met and can be met more fully, actually. And he never describes his conspirators as people who are rocks or his salvation, a fortress, people who won't let him be shaken. And so he says if we, we can turn to God and we can actually find freedom from the people who have hurt us. 
when we trust in grace, when we trust in the grace that God provides us in these situations when we're the one that hurt, that's hurt, it means a couple of things. It means that we recognize that uh, we cannot fix our own sins. It also means we recognize that we can't fix the sins of other people. It means I can't change other people. I can't change how they act. I can't get them to see what they did was wrong. I can't get them to repent and apologize. Trusting in God's grace means I recognize that I don't have control over what they did. Uh, this ministry, that, the, a discipleship ministry that I love and I've been involved with, it's called True Face. And I love some of the ways that they describe this. They, they describe and say, God is the only one who can deal with sin. And so what repentance looks like is when I turn to God who's going to deal with my sin. What forgiveness looks like is when I turn to God to deal with other people's sin. Let me, let me say that again. That God is the only one who can deal with sin. Repentance is when I'm turning to God and asking him to deal with my sin, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to sanctify me. When I forgive other people, I'm turning to God and I'm asking him, deal with other people's sin and how it's affected me. And so trusting in God's grace, it means that I can't get them to see what they did wrong, but I'm trusting God with them. True Face, this ministry describes it a little bit more, saying, we must trust that the blood of Jesus is totally sufficient to cleanse us from someone else's sin, the sin their sin against us. When we trust the power of the blood, we are focusing on forgiving them for our sake. We want to be clean of what they've done to us. And when that person repents, by God's grace, we forgive them for their sake. Forgiveness is something that we do because we need freedom from what they've done to us. As long as we hold out the hope that that person is going to change their mind, they're going to see it from our perspective, they're going to apologize and change their actions, as long as we're doing that, we are hoping that they will meet that need and that wound that we have. And there's never going to be freedom that we can have from that person. We're going to continue wanting from them and continue to hope that they will provide that grace that will heal our wound. But instead, David here says we can turn to God and we can turn to find grace from him. And when we trust in the grace that he's doing, we're trusting in God to deal with that offense against us. We're trusting with God to deal with that person. You know, at this, at this game that I was refereeing with this coach that yelled at me, um, I, just, I just wish that he would see what he did to me. You know, I just wish that somehow he could see how inappropriate and how wrong it was for him to, to act like that. I wanted to say, like, can't you see the example you're setting for your kid? Can't you see, like, you are an adult and you talked to me, a teenager at the time? And even if he apologized, even if he was to recognize what he did was wrong, I, I would feel a little better, but not all the way. 
there would still be all of these, all this time that I've carried this wound in my heart. He's not sufficient to heal all that's happened and all that he did. And so regardless of what he does, something I have no control over, I have to find that need met somewhere else. I have to trust God with him. I have to trust God who saw what happened to respond to that with justice, with grace, and if I had my choice, a little bit of wrath. Like, you know, let him get a demotion at work or, you know, like tear his ACL or something like that. Give him some time to reflect on this. And I, but I want this and I want God to deal with that, but I have to trust in God's wisdom that he's going to respond with, with justice and also with grace to this person. This doesn't mean, though, that our wounds go unheard. This doesn't mean that what happened needs to be silenced. This doesn't mean that my experience and what, what happened in, in those situations should just be minimized and set aside. But David actually gives us uh, a very practical expression of what this should look like. David knows and experiences God's grace through his vulnerability with God. Look in verse 8. He says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. David, throughout the Psalms, he has this habit of sharing openly with God. These psalms are like prayers to God where, where David, uh, with great expression and vividly, speaks to God. He gives, you see this full range of emotions with how, how David talks to God. You see him at times where he's joyous, where he's worshipful, where he's in celebration and in full confidence of what, who, who God is and how God views him. You see these other times, though, that it's much different. Places where it's very dark places where he's in depression, places where he's angry and even accusatory towards God. You see this full range, and this is how David relates to God and how he speaks to God, and he's advocating for other people, followers of God, to speak to God in the same way, to confide in God and give God the full range of what your experience is. Let God hear your heart says there's freedom because of God's grace and because we can trust in his grace that we can speak honestly with God. God's grace means that there is safety for us to talk to him. That we don't need to minimize what happens. We don't need to keep certain things off limits from God, but we can talk to him safely and honestly. Let me give you some examples of, of some psalms and, and how he writes. In Psalm 7, he says, Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. He says, Lord, arise in your anger against my enemies. Like, he's like, God, go get them. Like, get them. Be angry against these people. Go and crush them. Like, they are my enemies. He speaks like this to God. This isn't something that you would, you would speak very honestly and openly in front of in many circles. In verses, uh, in Psalm 134, he says, In your unfailing love, 
silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. He says, God, you, you love me. Your love is unfailing, so go and silence my enemies. Crush them and destroy them. Like, this isn't, this isn't a very, a very like, clean and spiritual-sounding psalm. This is something that's a little bit messy, something that if many of us prayed like that, we, the rest of us might cringe a little bit and say, is that okay to say? Psalm 22, this is a psalm we hear, we hear Jesus repeat part of this on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Here in this one, he, he doesn't make the other, his enemy uh, the subject of his prayer. He actually says this directly to God, and he, speaks, he protests to God himself. He says, God, you, throughout Scripture, we see you a number of places say that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, but why have you forsaken me? God, why have you left me? You are so far from saving me. Where are you? He writes like this with honesty. And, he's, and David says, it is okay for us to, write, to speak to God like this. <clears throat> we can share with God our anger. We can share with God our sadness, our disappointment. We can share with God our desire for justice and even vengeance. That these are okay things to bring to God. It might be messy. It might sound like something that you shouldn't say and you shouldn't bring before God. That that's not the fruit of what a good Christian should look like. A Christian shouldn't talk like this to God. A Christian shouldn't even feel things like this towards other people. And so it can be very easy for us to think, I need to, I need to set this aside. I shouldn't pray to God like this. See, the thing is, when, when Christ died on the cross for us, the deep work of restoration that he did for us, the grace that we find in this, where the New Testament describes us as being adopted into the family of God. In Galatians 3, we are described, and numerous other places we're described as children of God. There is a safety to that relationship. There is a security that that relationship is not going to change if I feel angry and tell God that I feel angry. That there's safety in that, that I can feel sad, I can feel disappointed with other people and how they've treated me, and even with God himself, and I can talk like that to God, and it's okay. That his grace says there's, there's freedom to do that. And when we're doing that, we're actually uh, relating to God more intimately. We're saying, God, I trust that I can actually share my whole heart with you and you will hear me. And so we can have those deep needs met in much safer places. Instead of looking to those people who've offended us and hurt us to meet those needs, we can say, there's someone who is much more safe, who has much more grace that I can bring these needs to. See, when we share... When we share these things that seem icky, these are things that we are sharing for the sake of relating to God and having those needs met by his grace. 
We're not sharing for the sake of just feeding our desire for vengeance. We, we know when we share that we know, I know that as angry as I feel, even still to this day, honestly, towards that coach, I can talk honestly with God and I can say, God, I want vengeance for what he did to me. I want some sort of retribution for that. And I can talk honestly with God and relate to him with that, but still trust for him to take those feelings, to hold them, and respond in his wisdom. That I can share these things and at the same time know, God, I trust you to do what's right and what you think should happen. But I'm asking you to hear me. And so God says he is a place that we can be heard, a place that we can share, and we share these things to relate with God, to receive his grace, not for the sake of just feeding our desire for, for vengeance and retribution. And so there's freedom to speak honestly and to relate with God. Let those wounds be healed. Let them be heard. Experiencing, experience God's grace by sharing your heart honestly with him is what David describes here. You know, the sad part is uh, so often we talk about forgiveness in such a shallow way of the way that you handle getting over sin is just forget about it, leave it in the past, and move on. And that this, this makes us miss a whole opportunity of receiving and experiencing God's grace. That these wounds are wounds that they're never going to be met by someone, even if they do recognize what they've done, even if they do apologize and ask for forgiveness, there's still going to be a deficit there. There's still going to be a wound, and there's only one place that we can go. David says we can go and we can turn to God, who will be our refuge, our fortress, a rock that we can find safety and protection from. He says go to this place, share honestly with God, Pour out your heart to him, and you can find healing and restoration. This is what it looks like to trust God's grace for ourselves when we've been hurt and need to forgive. David says this is the path towards healing and freedom from our wounds. Let me pray for us.